0: So um, we talk a lot about The Refuge, and it's possible that we have a church crush. <laughs> we just love The Refuge. And let me tell you what I love about The Refuge. It's not that they have awesome coffee and that they have an amazing facility and that all of their pastors and everybody are just super cool. It's like you love us. I mean, we're who are we, right? I mean... I don't mean that, like in a we have a bad self-image. I'm just saying, like they don't have to give us the time of day; they have plenty to do. And and the refuge invests in us. They invest in me, and so I just want to say thank you. I mean, we are not the church; we would not be the church we are without. The Refuge just loving on us and being willing to um, entertain our dumb questions. And it's just fantastic, you know, to have a relationship with, with a church like that. And then just on a personal level, we love getting to know you. Our women come to y'all's events, right? And. They come back, and I'm just like, sneak me in, right? I mean, I'll, I'll even wear a dress or something. I just uh, come, and like, Wendy's always talking about how amazing it is, and I'm just like, God, just why can't I go? Well, you're not a woman. Oh, that's why. So it is, it's just our honor to have you. Now, listen, here's the way we do it, y'all. Uh, we don't sit quietly while we have guests come to the house right so in just a minute I'm going to say it's great to have Pastor Terry Fur here and then you're going to give her a humongous gathering welcome right come on pastor Terry Fur it's great to have you here
1: you're awesome <laughs> Thank you guys for responding to that obligatory ovation. (laughs) Um, I'm not just saying this to say, to throw the niceties back at Pastor Paul. I think I might have a crush on this church. Uh, I love the gathering. I love your pastors. I love the way that just the team serves here. You guys are amazing. And I feel privileged to be here with you tonight. And I'm here tomorrow night, so that makes me feel good too if I mess this up, I can just try to redeem myself and then after that we'll knock Pastor Jay out on Wednesday and I'm just kidding. But I really do feel so privileged to be with you here tonight and just feel great expectation. The ladies that uh, have traveled here with me, they feel the expectation as well. We were texting about it earlier and Uh, These are extraordinary women that if I had a need, I would go to for prayer, so I hope some of you are able to receive prayer from them later, and then I'm going to give kind of an illustrated message tonight, so my friends up here are helping me. Ladies, you know, those of you that have come to the Awaken Nights, you know who Tammy Waltz is. She's an amazing, gifted worship leader, and then Corey Johnson is part of our team. He is our creative director, and uh, he's also a worship leader and uh, they're awesome, but I I believe the Lord wants to communicate some things tonight here uh, at the Jewish New Year. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) right on. (laughs) Shana Tova, you'll know what I'm saying. Happy New Year, and this is a very holy day on the Jewish calendar, and I just think it's cool that your encounter services are starting tonight, And, uh, and I think it's cool that many of you came to encounter God tonight instead of watching the Panthers game. I think that's awesome. My husband's at the Bank of America studio right now. Um, but, uh, you know, the Lord will help him. <laughs> A couple of things I just want to show you quick. this It's hard for me because I this isn't self-promotion. I guess it kind of is. But there's something the Lord's been asking me to do for several years. And if I'm going to do it, then I need to offer it to people. But we just launched... My new website, I think we have a picture of the homepage that we can put up. Well, that's good enough. That's, there's the homepage. Isn't that beautiful? My friend Sarah took that photo. Uh, it's Serenade Ministries, and then you can go to the next one, um, Terryfur.com. I've started a blog called Nothing Wasted. You can go on there and subscribe, and um, I won't get anything for it except to know that people are reading my offering. So if you wanna um, partake in that, I invite you to do so. I I always forget to talk about my family, so I want to do that quickly. I think we have a, a picture, too. That is my handsome husband that's at the Panthers game right now, probably acting like a crazy man. And my little girl, Amelia, who already looks so much older than that, she turned 13 this summer, and she is a gift from God, and they have released me to be here with you and are praying and believing God uh, my husband was praying over me this morning and just said he felt such great expectation for what God wants to do tonight, and, and I feel it too. We're going to be looking, the The uh, foundation of this message is found in Psalm 45, verse 1, but before we read that, I want to lay a foundation um, for this message. The, the name of the message is, What is Your Life Song?, and that will become, more clear in a few moments, but I wanna read out of a very um, dear passage of scripture to me, it's in Acts 17. Really, this passage would be like a life verse for me. They're verses that the Lord arrested my heart with years ago and I just think it would be an awesome place to start, particularly in the context of this message. Acts 17, verses 24 through 28. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. This passage talks about the boundaries of time and place. Perhaps you find yourself in a season where you feel restricted and hemmed in nowhere to move based on your circumstances. And he says when you're in that condition where maybe it feels like the Lord is far off from your journey, that we feel we reach, some translations say we grope for him. The image would be like in a completely dark room reaching for something to hold on to. And that, he determines boundaries so that we'll do that. But that phrase, feel their way toward him, comes from a Greek word that you can see on the screen, and it means to touch lightly, to verify by contact, to personally investigate. Now, the way that when we study language in Scripture, we can get a definition from the original language, and then we can reach further into the root of that word. Uh, my little girl takes Latin, in where she goes to school, and she talks a lot about uh, bringing the words down to their, to their root So it's the same concept with the Greek So if you take this word and go down to the root This is what it means And this is so powerful You could see the, the base word there in Greek And it means to manipulate It literally means to twitch or twang As on a stringed instrument Creating melodies in another realm So when you are reaching for God in the darkest season of your life or in the boundaries, like that thing where you want to change your location, where you work, where you live, who you're married to, don't do that. But there's that thing where you feel hemmed in and you are reaching. You can't find God in the midst of it. But he's not actually far from any one of us. So why does it feel as if he's far? Because he is calling a people who want a sound to come from their lives. That is that we interact with another realm when we reach through the darkness to touch something, to touch him, to verify by contact, to personally investigate. There's a sound that heaven hears, that earth may be death death to. So I'm going to ask you this evening, what is your life song? What is the sound from your life? In Revelation 22, verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. It's a partnership, our sound with his sound. It's not that he's limited to communicate to the earth. You know, if he wanted to, he can open up one of the mouths of the presidents on Mount Rushmore, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, like it would be kind of freaky but he could do it if he wanted to but he said that's not what I chose to do if you obey me if you love me you'll obey me if you obey me we'll come and make our home in you in other words there's this there's this convergence of the spirit and of man that together say yes god in in like the context of scripture, the, the song of Solomon. We know Solomon wrote more than a thousand songs, but the one that he calls the song of all songs is a duet. It's when our sound joins with his sound, and he is inviting us tonight to evaluate what our life song is and what we'll allow it to be. So in Psalm 45, it's, it's a wedding song. I love wedding songs, And not because I love weddings. I actually don't love to go to weddings for a lot of reasons. I probably shouldn't have just said that, but it's the truth. But I love the idea of our bridegroom king. I love the reality of our bridegroom king coming for his bride. And he is coming, and he's coming for a bride that's looking for him and is preparing herself. And so whenever there's a a wedding psalm in Scripture, it's a big deal to me. And we're just going to look at Psalm 45, verse 1, and it says this, My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses to the king. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. The English Standard Version says, My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. Let me ask you tonight, what is your life song? I'm going to give you a few definitions of song. Noah Webster, his fifth definition for song is a habitual or characteristic manner a habitual or characteristic manner. Thomas Carlyle defined the song this way. He said it's somehow the very central essence of us, as if all the rest were but wrappings and whole. Oliver Herford said that the song is the licensed median for bawling in public things too silly or too sacred to be uttered in ordinary speech. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.19 defines the song as the words and music in your heart to the Lord. And I present to you tonight, every life sings a song. This church, this house, the gathering, there's a sound that is lifted from this place. And Jesus warns his followers. He tells us, you have the ability to honor me with your lips and your heart be far from me. And he says, I'm concerned and interested in the sound, the song that comes from your life. What is the habitual manner of your life? In other words, the other realm, when they hear your life's song, what does it sound like? That reaching, that groping in the dark, that's when our song comes forth. And what does yours sound like? He listens for the one, the song that comes from our lives and those that aren't uh, those songs where our lips don't match the sen- the centrality of who we are, Jesus calls that vain worship. So I'm going to give you some quick examples of life songs. Wow, I'm just going for it right now. I feel like I already need a nap. All right, just throughout scripture, I made a list. I'm going to read it to you kind of rapid fire. I'm going to read a quick list of what I would consider life songs of different people in Scripture. And then we're going to look at four detailed examples of either people in Scripture or more contemporary church history. 25 quick examples of life songs. Abel, I think his would be, I offer up a living sacrifice. Enoch, all things are possible. Moses, God can make a way. The three Hebrew boys, oh God, you are my God. Abraham, I surrender all. Noah, though none go with me, still I will follow. Elijah, greater is he that is in me. Daniel, the battle is the Lord's. Gideon, the captain of the host is Jesus. Joshua and Caleb, my soul follows hard after thee. Rahab, just as I am. Jeremiah, there's a fire shut up in my bones. Ruth and Naomi, because he lives. Ezekiel, breathe on me deborah let god arise david a pure heart that's what i long for hosea and gomer great is thy faithfulness john the baptist prepare the way for the lord paul and silas i will praise the lord peter god lifted me stephen my life is in you lord john you're my beloved the woman with the issue of blood you're all i need mary magdalene oh lord you're beautiful and simeon he's all the power you need and i ask you tonight what is your life song we're going to go into four more detailed examples, and my friends are going to help illustrate it with, uh, for us tonight. But the first example is uh, a, pr- a pretty well-known hymn writer by the name of Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby, uh, when she was six weeks old, she had a, a cold that caused inflammation in her eyes. So her parents uh, called the doctor uh, to come and, and treat their baby and their, the usual doctor, the town doctor, was out of town and a doctor they weren't as familiar with uh, came in his stead and this doctor offered the remedy of uh, hot mustard packs. They took mustard seed and crushed it and made it hot and it was this, um, uh, this substance that they placed on Fanny's eyes and as a result her optic nerves were damaged and it resulted in blindness when Fanny was uh, asked about this event at 85 years old, asked about the doctor that the family had never uh, heard, from before, heard from again, they said, how do you feel towards that doctor when you think about him? Listen to what she said. She said, in more than 85 years, I have not for a moment felt even a spark of resentment against him. For I have believed from my youth up that the good Lord in his infinite mercy, by this means pointing to her blind eyes, he consecrated me to the work I'm still permitted to do. One of the earliest resolves that I formed in my young heart was to leave all care to yesterday and to believe that the morning would bring forth its own peculiar joy. At six months old, Fanny's father died her mother was forced to secure a job and she became a maid and she, the mom became a maid so the grandmother was left to almost completely raise Fanny well the grandmother talked to her about the scripture she would read it to her and then she would invite her to memorize and even as a child she could recite large portions of the Pentateuch of the gospels of Proverbs, of Song of Solomon and she had complete psalms Memorized. She would memorize five chapters of scripture per week. Well, at the age of eight, she wrote her first poem. At the age of 15, Fanny entered the school of the blind, and at age 26, she was teaching at that school. Fanny met her husband in that school, and when she was in her early 30s, she married, and with her husband, they Brought and her husband was blind as well, but they were gifted with a, a fully healthy and beautiful baby. And that baby, in the first year of its life, caught pneumonia and died. Fanny was a friend of suffering, and she lived through this in her life. For decades when she was in her 40s she's decided that she wanted to set her poems to music and she began writing hymns she wrote dozens of hymns in a 9 year period. When Fanny Crosby was in her 90s she was still addressing large crowds. Fanny Crosby the first woman to ever be, uh, speak to the Senate. She was the friend of many presidents. And so she had lots of open doors in her life. And one of the last sermons she ever preached, and she was in her 90s, she died at 95. But in her early 90s, she preached her last message. And this is what she said in that message. She said, God will answer your prayers better than you think. Of course, one will not always get what they have asked for. We all have sorrows and disappointments. But one must never forget that if commended to God, they will issue in good. His own solution is far better than any we could ever conceive. She said, This is why praise is the story of my life. How many of you know when you are going through a dark night of the soul and you let a sound come, you are qualified to release that sound because you have groped through the dark when you couldn't even find God and you let a sound come forth. Fanny was asked at the end of that sermon, which of her hymns would be considered her life song. And she said the one that Corey and Tammy are about to sing for us. And it came one day when she was at her friend's house, Mrs. Joseph Knapp, and she was playing these beautiful melodies on the piano. And she said to blind Fanny, let the words come. And in a matter of moments, Fanny began to declare her life song. And as you consider the life song of Fanny Crosby, let me ask you tonight, what song is your life singing?
2: Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. My Savior All the day long Perfect submission Perfect delight Visions of rapture Now, now burst, burst on, on my side Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song.
1: My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. The second example is a man by the name of Horatio Spafford, also a hymn writer. He was a prominent lawyer and businessman, father of five. He had a beautiful wife, Anna. He lost everything he had in the great Chicago fire and Two years after losing everything, well, actually in that same year that they lost everything in their business, they lost their son to pneumonia. So four daughters remained and two years into rebuilding the business, they had planned a trip uh, from the U.S. to Europe and there was a business issue that came up and Horatio told his wife and girls, you go ahead, you set sail and I'll join you later. Well, four days into the trip, the ship, they set sail from New York Harbor and they were headed towards Europe. And the ship that Horatio Spafford's wife, Anna, and their four girls was on, they collided in the night with another ship. There were 313 passengers on board and 226 of them went to their watery grave. Well, for Horatio Spafford, 222 of those lives were a distant tragedy, but four of them were his girls. His wife was rescued while floating on a part of a ship. And when they brought her, they got, she got as far as whales. And when they brought her to uh, safety, she, sent a, she wired a message to her husband. And the message just said, saved alone, what should I do? So Horatio immediately set sail. He knew it would take several days to get to where she was. And while he was on that ship, he had fallen asleep out on the deck of the ship. But because of a conversation he had had with the captain earlier, where he wanted to know the spot where that ship went down so he could properly memorialize his daughters. He had fallen asleep right while they were approaching that spot, and the captain went himself to wake up Horatio. He woke him up and he said, this is the spot. So Horatio stood up and he looked into that, the depths of that ocean that had swallowed his daughters. And he said in that moment, the song of his life came forth. Listen to the life song of Horatio Spafford. When peace like a
2: river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea lows roll, whatever With my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well, with my soul, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious star. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Oh my. soul with my soul it is well it is well with
1: my soul Colossians 1 verse 20 says and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on a cross John 14 27 my peace I leave with you Jesus is speaking my peace I give you I do not give it to you as the world gives don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid there is a place in God when we have a revelation of a realm beyond this one right this is not the life this side of eternity We're living, this is just the dress rehearsal. We're living for another world. And it's why blind Fanny Crosby, blind for 90 plus years, could say visions of rapture now burst on my sight. It's why Horatio Spafford can say, my sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Come on, church. It's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well with my soul. What is your life song? So the person I'm going to talk to you about is Job. I know you're wondering if I'm trying to kill you. I promise I'm not. (laughs) See, here's the thing. One of our pastors on staff that we talk a lot about Uh, current events and what's happening. I've given my life to the study of the end times. I, I wake up in the night with dreams from the preparation of the bride and he teaches and studies Israel and Islam and we're just two nerds that get together and talk about stuff and I was talking to him one day about the coming storm, and I'm not saying that to preach doom or gloom. What I'm telling you is there's a place in God that if we can apprehend it, there is no storm that can come that'll get us off our foundation. And that is what we're called to as the church. Let the spirit and the bride say, come. May every difficult circumstance, when we feel like we're groping in the dark, say, okay, God, but there's a worship being sounded in another realm that you join into. And I want my song to touch heaven and change the earth. And it's what we're called to. And when we go through difficulty and trial, that's how we learn what's inside of us. See, the Lord already knows what's inside of us. The book of Matthew says that he doesn't need the testimony of a man to know a man. He knows everything about you. But it's when the trials come that we learn what's inside of us. And we see what we need and we see what we need to give over. And we have become so good at being professional at this Christian thing that when difficulty comes, we're too afraid to let it be seen. And my friend Nathan said, I'm not worried about the coming storm as much as I'm worried about the storm within the people of the church. And the reality is there is trouble in this world. But he said, I will give you everything you need in the midst of it. See, his guarantee has to do with the world he has prepared for us. There are promises that we live out on earth, no doubt. But even the gift of the Holy Spirit, the word of God tells us, is a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. That means every encounter we have with his spirit here, the most glorious exchange that we have here on earth is just a snapshot Into eternity. It's like when people go on vacation and they bring back all their photos and they think you want to see them. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Now we have Instagram so you can just keep scrolling if you don't want to see it. But you know, like you just become so, like they're showing you and there's no way you can feel the same way they feel about it. Well, I don't know that they're showing you those pictures. For you, I I think that it may be more that they want to relive it. It's the way that they can be back from their vacation and still be on their vacation. And the reality is, encounters with the Holy Spirit is how we can be here when we're longing for there. And he wants to pour himself out tonight. He wants to touch even the most, the deepest, most sorrowful places inside of you. I tried to get out of this message tonight because there were a lot of components we had to work out and pour Corey and. Tammy, I just asked them late Friday to to do this, Um, but I knew that it was on God's heart because there is a sound. I'm telling you, it's unique to each of you. It's unique here on this Jewish New Year. Careful. On this Jewish New Year tonight, That there's a sound that's to come up from the gathering, right? There's a corporate sound that's made up of individual sounds that say, God, no matter what comes, I will choose you. And some of you are in that valley of decision. And I want you to know there's coming a day that you will stand before him with the sound that you created while on earth. So Job was the the richest man in his area. He had sheep, camels, oxen. We wouldn't consider this rich really, but it wasn't that day. Oxen, donkeys, uh, an innumerable amount of servants, all kinds of land. He had 10 kids. He was wealthy in every way. And the enemy orchestrated a test that God allowed. That messes with some of our theology, but God started the conversation as it relates to Job. He said, have you considered my, my servant Job? The enemy said, yeah, he's got all this going for him. He won't choose you if he doesn't have it all going for him. And the Lord said, I think, I think you might be wrong. See, the Lord doesn't need our testimony to know what's in us, and he knew what was in Job. So Job went through... Uh, Three series of tests. In the first one, he lost his oxen and donkeys. His servants were killed. His sheep were burned up. Some servants uh, were burned up from fire that fell down from the sky. There was the carrying off of his camels and the destruction of his children who were dining together when the roof collapsed and took them all out. Death and destruction that came from all manners of different all manner of different places, so there was real, no real explanation, right? When people are suffering, we think that somehow, if we can explain it away it 'll help them. Let, let me help you tonight that won 't help them. What people need when they 're experiencing loss is to be held and to, for us to call on that song that 's inside of them that he 's good, and we need to declare that over people, and and this is what Job was going through in in just his first series of tests. In Job 121, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May May the name of the Lord be praised. In his second test... Job's afflicted with painful sores. And in Job 2.7, it says that they were from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Any of you that have dealt with chronic pain, you know that there's not, like it is so difficult to have a proper perspective when you're in pain. And Job had to endure that test. The third test was his accusing friends and his nagging wife. Now, some some male preachers might take a little rabbit trail on that one, but because I'm a lady preacher, we're not going to go there. (laughs) His wife said, curse God and die. Here's the thing. Job knew he couldn't do that. I don't know what certain times of Job's journey look like through all of these tests, but I'm sure... He wasn't a picture of excitement throughout all of this. I'm sure he had low times. But the one thing the enemy said was, he'll curse you if you take it all away. And the the Lord said, no, he won't. Don't touch his life. He might become discouraged. He might struggle. He might want to throw in the towel, but he will not curse me. And then the words of his wife said, curse God. And Job knew he couldn't. I'm sure everything in him wanted to curse God. And I believe there are some of you that are right on the edge of that tonight. I'm not just saying that as a preacher thing to say. I can feel it. You're right on the edge of saying, forget this thing. It's not panning out. The reality is he never promised it would pan out on this side of eternity. He said we would have abundant life. In other words, more than anything this world has to offer, we could be full of life on the inside. But he promised eternity with joy and power and future. And it's what we're living for, and we don't preach about it anymore. Job looked at his wife and said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. And I'm telling you, there will be wedding vows exchanged at the end of the age. And as the bride of the bridegroom king, we know according to Revelation 19 that our wedding vows will be this Your ways are right, O God. Because at the end of all of this, every wrong will be made right and we will see his wisdom prevail. But for us to know, right, even in weddings, our natural weddings, we have rehearsals. We want to make sure we say the right things in the right spot. And we need to rehearse this through life's circumstances even now. Your ways are right, oh God. We agree. We agree. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In Job 19... Verses 25 through 27. If you're taking notes, that's a great one to write down. Job 19, 25 through 27. We read the stunning life song of Job. Listen as they sing it.
3: For I know my Redeemer lives And in the end He will stand on the earth For I know My Redeemer lives And in the end He will reign on the earth Though my flesh It be destroyed Yet with my eyes i will see god for i know that my redeemer lives and i will stand with him on that day for i know that my redeemer lives and i will stand with him on day, for I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end He will stand on the earth, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will reign on the earth, though my flesh it be destroyed, yet with my eyes I will see God, for I know that my I will stand with him on that day. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will stand with
1: him on that day. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the King. What's your life song? What are you known by on earth? Or even better, what are you, know, what are you known by in another realm? What do the angels t- talk about when considering you? What is Jesus, who's at the right hand of the throne of God, saying about you even now? So the last example I'm going to give you is actually someone that I knew pretty well. A young man by the name of Garrett Thomas I met him when he was a teenager and was around when he met his wife and became married and I was there when he ended up in the hospital a couple hours away from where we live for seven or or eight weeks somewhere in there he was there struggling for his life Several of us from the church would go and visit and pray, and his parents and his sister and his young wife, who's actually here with me tonight. She was 19 when they were married and was 22 at this time, is that right? Oh, sweet Sarah. We would go several nights a week. I would put my little girl in bed, and we would drive a couple hours away, and we would pray for Garrett's healing. I've never seen faith in a family like I saw in that family. In the beginning, he could interact with us when we would go and visit. And there was a scripture that he had written on a whiteboard in his room. And it's one that was quoted. I will live and not die to tell of the works of the Lord. Psalm 118 verse 17. Garrett dealt with illness at different times in his life. And any time a minister would come to our church, they didn't even know him, they would call him out and talk about the platforms he would stand on and the healing ministry that would follow him. And So we laid hold of those promises in that hospital room week after week after week. And in God's wisdom and his economy, he chose to take Garrett to be with him. It was one of those things that was just like, God, all the promises, the way we prayed, the pain, this 22-year-old widow, I don't get it, God. And a few months in, I had a dream about Garrett, and I felt so compelled. It was this morning that the Lord told me to talk about this, and I texted Sarah and asked her if I could, so don't worry about her. She's good. She's crying, but she's good. (laughs) I will say now, she... She's married and has two beautiful children. The Lord is a good restorer and redeemer of great loss and pain. I'll just go ahead and tell you that since I'm like really giving it to you tonight. (laughs) But I had a dream a couple of months after Garrett went to heaven. And I saw Garrett in in a mall. I knew he had already gone to heaven, but I could see him in this mall and I was following him around. And there were a lot of things that happened I won't get into the details of, but I lost him for a little while, so I went and sat at this big fountain. And we have a mall in our city where there's a big fountain. And I was sitting at that fountain, and I looked over, and Garrett was sitting there. And I said, Garrett? And he turned, and he looked at me. And he, he, he looked a lot like he did on earth. It didn't look like he had a new body, but... I knew he had already been in heaven, and he looked at me, and I said, are you okay? And he just kind of nodded his head yes. And so I said, Garrett, is there anything I can tell your family? He shook his head no. And So I tried again. Garrett, Sarah, I'm with Sarah all the time. Like, is there anything I could tell Sarah? He just shook his head. I said, oh, Sarah, oh, Garrett, what about your mom? Your mom is so sad. Is there anything I can tell her? And he just shook his head no. And so with one last pleading, and if you know me, this would be just like how I would be, I said, Garrett, are you sure? And he just said, okay, tell them I have plenty of money. And I woke up. So I called my friend, Dawn, who's a prophet and dream interpreter. I shared the dream. She had all these insights for all these different details of the dream. But I said, what about the thing about the money? She said, I don't know. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) She said, no, I I don't know. So I called her a couple days later. I said, Dawn, the Lord tell you anything about the plenty of money? She said, no, I believe the Lord's going to tell you, Terry. I believe it's connected to your call. Fast for two years. Watching a sermon about the end times. Imagine that by Robert Morris. And he starts to talk about the verse that says store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And he talked about our obedience here. Storing treasure up there. He started to talk about the millennial reign and how we're going to need money. Now I know this is blowing some of your minds. I'm not trying to freak you out tonight. Just... Let it sit with what I feel I'm to share tonight. He began to talk about that we're going to need treasure. And I started weeping, looking at my computer screen. And I started to remember. All the times that Garrett raised those skinny arms in that hospital room and gave worship and glory to God. I remembered every time that those visiting ministers would speak a word over him and he would receive the word and let them lay hands on him time and time and time again. And when he was taken from this earth, I don't claim to understand it all, but I do claim to know this. There is an economy, there is a heavenly currency that we're living for, friends. It matters. Every choice matters through the hardship, through everything you believed God for, for everything that you have groped in the dark for. There is a song that interacts with a different realm that matters. It matters. It matters. And I'm telling you, I have heard the phrase, uh, even earlier today when we were in our church house church, church house, when we were in our church house this morning, I was thinking of you guys, Trying, I was trying to be focused, but I was thinking of you guys and I just could hear the Lord saying they've got to get this. They've got to get this. There is a sound from the habits of your life that earth, the earth, the expression of his kingdom is tied up in. He's called you to release that sound. Every sacrificial dollar given for this beautiful facility that God, that, that God has given you, it all matters. He sees it all. And we may not understand his ways, but we have to choose to trust him because we were made for it. And I'm just going to put this out there. there. There's something really strong that I felt that there's some habits represented here. And you know it. You're so afraid to come out of the dark with it because of what it would cost you. And I want you to understand that you can break that, habitual, that song that's over your life. It can be broken. He wants to break it. The first step is to step into the light with it. And we become so afraid with those things that are just a part of, it's just a habitual manner, but there's some things that are in secret that he wants to expose. Not in a way to shame you. He wants you to bring it to the light and say, God, I give it to you today because I want the song of my life to be one that advances your kingdom." We get one shot at this. We tend to be so afraid of the light. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He said, you know, someone can step into a basement, turn on the lights and rats begin to scurry and then people are sorry they ever turn on the lights because here's the problem. We mistake the light to have produced the rats. And here's the reality. The rats were there. The lights give us the ability to deal with them. There are some rats scurrying around in some basements. I'm just going to say this. I'm not saying this for the sake of being intense. And I'm not saying it because I want to see anyone put to shame. If you trust God in this, you'll never be put to shame. I'm just tired of the enemy winning by convincing people that this is the best life they're ever going to have. And as long as they do their best with it, and they're a good person, that, they can, that it's just what they have to live with. And the reality is it's not true. You're here tonight to say yes to him. God, I want the lights to turn on. I want it to come on. I I, I want even those things in the waiting, in the disappointments. And that's what I heard, that there's some things that you just left your basement with the lights off because the disappointment in the waiting, the things you reached for when you tried to do it right and it didn't get you anywhere. These are the things I've been hearing in the spirit. The Lord doesn't reveal those things. For the sake of shaming you, he invites you to a place of freedom. Yes. The other thing is this, and this is kind of random, but I'm just going to go with it. I, have, I don't know if I've ever thought about this. Well, I haven't in this context at least. When I was in college, right before I went to college, I told my car, my dad helped me get a new car, and it was a Chevrolet Citation, and it was a sight to behold. So my dad said, we'll get it painted, and we painted it white, but it still looked pretty rough. And so I bought a lot of, like, surf shop stickers, Ron John and all these different stickers, and put it all in the back window. And back in the day, you could, like, you could get those windshield wipers that were, like, neon pink, had that going. It kind of looked like this surf mobile. And I remember being like, man, look at it. We took that thing that looks sorry, sad, and turned it into this thing that's so cute. Until the time I came home from college to visit family and I was at a parking, I was at a traffic light and the, late, the girls next to me, and I really felt like the Lord told me to share this, the girls next to me were yelling at me. I could hear them saying profane words. I, well, I actually assumed it wasn't at me, but it, it, they kept on, so I turned and I looked and they were pointing at my car using all this terrible language saying, you're trying to make your junk look good, but they didn't say it that nice. And I remember, like, being devastated in that moment. Like, oh, God, you don't even know me. Like, why do you even care? And as the Lord was bringing that, and that was since we've been in worship and here, the Lord was bringing that image to me so clearly. And I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? What are you after? And I feel like there's been some things spoken over some of you that have made you despise who you are and what you've been given. And the Lord wants to break that off. That comparison, that accusation, he wants to break that off tonight. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for your kindness to be so clear and tangible. That kindness that leads us to repentance. Oh, God, have your way in Jesus' name. We're going to go into a time of worship, but I I need to give these calls right now. And if you would, out of respect for everyone in this room, bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. And I'm just going to give it the way the Lord told me to. And the only reason why I'm going to have my eyes open is because I think it's important to have that point of contact where you just get it to the light, even in this small way. Listen, I'm 47 years old. I've had a couple hot flashes while I'm up here. I am not going to remember you unless the Lord needs me to. If you're here and you have some stuff in your basement that you, need to, that you want the Lord to get out, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just put it up and put it right back down. Yes, many. Thank you, thank you. Put it up, right back down. You have dark, you have stuff in your basement that the Lord wants to bring his light to and bring you and give you freedom. And you wanna say yes. Anyone else before I move on? Yes, sir, thank you. Thank you. Who else? Yes, sir, anyone else? Your heart's beating in your chest. That's the mercy of God. Beating in his chest, beating in your chest for you. Respond to it. Yes, yes, ma'am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Friends, this can change everything. Every yes matters. If you have been um, under the weight of the comparison or that, that accusing tongue that has made you feel um, unhappy about the display of your life, the expression of your life. I don't know how else to say it, but I'm talking about the car image that the Lord brought back to me. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Yeah, many, many. Just put it up and put it right back down. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're so faithful. You're so faithful. You're so faithful. Why doesn't everyone stand? I'm gonna pray over everyone that stood but let's stand as a congregation, but those that stood for those calls, I'm gonna pray. Corey and Tammy are gonna lead us, and if you want prayer, you can make your way to the front, particularly those that responded to the call. There's not a pressure, but if you feel like you just need an extra touch of prayer, we're here to do that. Lord, I thank you for these bold, and courageous men and women who said, I need the lights to come on in my basement. I need those things, those uh, uh, the, just those things of the enemy, Those uh, new, the things that are, have become a nuisance, those things that don't belong, those things that aren't life-giving, but they eat away. God, I pray right now for a hope in you. You know if you raised your hand, you lift your face towards hope right now. He either is who he says he is or he isn't. He is the God of that redeems. He comes for that which is broken. He comes for that which is dirty. He comes for that which is sick. And he says all things new. And I speak it over you now in the name of Jesus. All things new. New. All things new. And for those that have been under this comparison and despising those things of their life, I break it off now in Jesus' holy name. Thank you, Lord.
2: Lord, And let all that's within me praise his name. Praise the Lord. And let all that's within me praise his name oh, praise, praise his name. that's within me praise his name praise the lord oh my soul and let all that's within me praise his name i will not die i will live i will tell of the works of the lord sing of His one i will not die i will live i will tell of the works of the lord i'll sing of his wonder he's a great god oh he's a great god so marvelous he's a great god great God yeah. and nothing's gonna take your praise out of my mouth as long as I shall live as long as I shall live Whoa,
1: nothing's, nothing's gonna take, take your praise out of my
2: mouth, mouth as long as I shall live as long as I shall live whoa, nothing's going to take your praise out of my mouth as long as I shall live as long as I shall live nothing's going to take your praise out of my mouth as long as I shall live as long as I shall live you're a great God you're a great God Ooh. you're a great
3: Great
2: God, God. Yes. No one
3: you You're You're great
2: Great God. You're a great
0: God. Listen, um, people that go to church here, you know that God speaks to me in crazy ways. Sometimes he reminds me of Seinfeld episodes and you laugh, but I'm not even joking so in Seinfeld there's this episode and there's this guy his name is George and he is just a loser there's really no I mean nothing ever works out for him and one episode and I'm telling you this because I'm, I promise you God brought this to my mind sitting right there because some of you are thinking this was great but now what right not because it wasn't good teaching because it was but we're the enemy just like yeah you know So now what and here's what god told me hey paul remember that episode when george suddenly decided uh, jerry makes this joke like george maybe since everything you do fails you should do the exact opposite of everything you've ever done and maybe then it would succeed and so he orders like the exact opposite sandwich he actually walks up to the girl and says hi i live with my parents and she's like hey you know, and it's like everything works out because he did the exact opposite. And I felt like the Lord said, Why don't you do the exact opposite of everything you've ever done? So if your tendency is to hear a really strong word and you just did, and then tuck it away in your Bible and go, That's pretty good, and walk out the door, then why don't you do the exact opposite tonight? Why don't you step forward? And let some people who have come here lay hands on you and pray over you. If some of the things you struggle with, if you have habits in your life and they're there because you do certain things that enable those habits, why don't you try the exact opposite? The point here is just do something different. I'm telling you, I'm going to close this out. I mean, if you're here, if you're hearing God's touched you tonight, if you're one of the many that said, that was a word for me. I, I beg you, because I know what these ladies bring. I beg you, don't walk out that door. Come to the front, and they will stay here, because they did it last year. They will stay here, and they will pray as long as it takes. And they'll pray with you. Step up here and let them do that, right? We'll play some playlist worship music. It'll be awesome. Or y'all can keep playing. It was fantastic. I'll give you the mic, you know, whatever. I'm just telling you, when I say amen, don't scurry home. Come let them pray with you. We'll pray with you. Father, what a strong start to encounter, God. Man, you have driven this message home today at the gathering. That there is a sound of praise in us that's got to come out in brokenness. Though you slay me, yet will I praise you. I will not wait for you to do it, God. I'm going to praise you in my pain, in the brokenness, and you're going to come through because you always do in the way that you do. So God, I thank you for this word tonight. I thank you for meeting us and for filling us, God, not just with good soul food, but with an expectation for more. And God, as we, as we spend time at the altar, those that come forward for prayer, I'm asking that you would speak clearly, Lord, to us. Encourage us, God. Change us. Give us clarity in our city. That when our city thinks of the gathering, they would think of the sound that comes from us, and that that would set people free. In your name, Jesus, amen.